0: You are listening to the Voices of Riverview, a podcast celebrating the life and times of New Brunswick's largest town as it celebrates 50 years. I'm your host, Tosh Taylor, a longtime Riverview admirer interested in learning more. Welcome to the show today. We are chatting with Chris Antle. Chris, you are
1: here to talk with me today all about the Dobson Trail. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you so much. I can't say that I can tell you all about the Dobson Trail, but I can tell you 40 years worth of miles on my boots. (laughs) Wow.
0: What is like, what's your first connection with it? How did you get interested in the Dobson?
1: Well, actually, when I moved to Riverview in 1972, the trail was in my backyard. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I lived on Canusa Drive. And of course, at the end of Canusa Drive was the track for the Canusa Games. And, of course, during those times, it was Ray Drake. So a lot of these things are coming full circle for the town of Riverview, for sure. Absolutely. The trail was there. I would take the children walking on the first little part of it. Like, we just pop over Mill Creek, and we'd be there. So, But it took me 20 years before I actually hiked the full trail. (laughs) Uh, As a family, we used to do sections. And to me, that was the absolute, I suppose, brilliance of Dr. Dobson's design that most people, especially with young families, they couldn't take off for three days through the wilderness, but they sure could do little bite-sized sections of that trail right here in our own hometown. Didn't have to travel anywhere. Just put on your boots and
0: go. Exactly. And you could, you know, it's, it's such a... Um, I was going to say smooth trail. That's not the word I'm looking for.
1: <laughs> uh, you could use that word on the first kilometer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and maybe up to Bryden Brook at, you know, just the three, just short of the three kilometer section. Uh, but actually, in the early days, even that first section, Uh, was it was a rough trail it wasn't a city street for sure Mm -hmm. but it was absolutely doable and um, Dr. Dobson had a book he he I think you've seen the On Foot to Fundy Hikers Guide Mm -hmm. you see that yeah and uh, in that book now it tells you everything that you could possibly want to know about going out for a day or for going out for three days but when he planned the trail, he wrote into the Riverview Recorder at that time everything that people would need to know uh, to hike the trail, and he provided a map. So he wrote and designed the cover, cute little hiker on the front, of the very first um, On Foot to day booklet. And over the years, it's been improved, of course, made waterproof, fabulous map now, big enough that you can see where you're going. So the chances of getting lost are fewer. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that the adventure of it all, actually?
0: I think for me, I found it a really great starter trail. And as I was telling you before, I didn't I didn't camp on the trail. I did half of the trail my first year, half of the trail the second year. It was so easy to follow the map. It was so easy to follow the markers um, that it was a really great,
1: um, I'm going to say, beginner's trail. Um, it could be, depending on the season, of course. and. true. And when it was last um, maintained, because if you're first there in the spring, you know, some of the little crossings for the brooks might have washed out Mm -hmm. and there might have been a clear cut during the winter. Mm -hmm. And I actually at one point went through a clear cut and one of the trees had the Dobson Trail sign on it. Mm -hmm. So there's all those sorts of things, because, of course, as you know, um, there's many claims to fame with that Dobson Trail you know it's it's for sure uh, the oldest four season trail in Canada um, volunteer built there's all these little ticks you know Um, and it's a trail that's owned by nobody and of course it was accessible to everybody And built for foot traffic only, more ticks. And of course, it changes with the whims of the weather and the people who own the trail. Because we're only on the trail because of all the different owners. So as I said, nobody owns the trail, but everybody can use it. But the owners can do whatever they want with that trail. So yes, sometimes it's really easy to find your way. And sometimes you really have to rely on your common sense in the woods, with your compass and so on and so forth. But I think really for people who haven't done any wilderness hiking at all, why not just start with one of those fabulous sections? Because he made the trail, there's more sections now than were were in the beginning, but he made it so that you could do a section at a time. Take your family, go there, And then if you decided you wanted to go all the way to Fundy, then you knew what you were in for. You knew which areas that were really rough going in the spring because of black flies. I mean, it is the Albert County Wilderness after all. And then, of course, in the summer, did you really want to go through the great meadows, those marshes that were full of mosquitoes? So there's all those things that you can decide on how you want to make the trail uh, your your special loading. You've spent some time going through Dr. Dobson's uh, his findings,
0: his, his diaries. Is that what it was?
1: Oh, my gosh, yes. Well, actually, I, I knew Dr. Dobson for a long time because he was a doctor at the hospital. Um, I didn't actually see him, but I knew of him. He was an anesthetist. I was a nurse. And, of course, he came in early and he left early. Which was great for the trail, because he had his afternoons his afternoons free. But I was visiting him, my husband and I were visiting him one time, and he was bogged down on his computer. He said, "I have to get these upgraded. I need to get these onto my computer." And then years later, um, well, I guess when I was preparing for the fiftieth anniversary celebration, Um, I was looking for information on the trail to put things together. And actually, there was a lot of things that were being lost. Some people thought he did this. Some people didn't know when he did it. So I thought, well, let's just set this record straight. So when I was asked to be the archivist, I said, okay, I can do that. And in the meantime, I guess it was 2014, Dr. Dobson died. I knew his his widow. Um, we were friends. So she asked me if I would take those diaries. He had lifetime diaries. So she brought me the 10 diaries from the years that he was building the trail. So that was like 1959 through to 19, well, basically 1970. Now, bear in mind, Dr. Dobson was a doctor. Ha <laughs> ha. Try to read that writing, so of course, what I transcribed was only what pertained to the trail, so the rest of it uh was his his personal diary, but everything regarding the trail was there. Um, it was from the very first time that he thought this was something that he would like to do to build a trail. Uh, He had hiked different sections of the Appalachian Trail. And, of course, that runs 2,000 miles from Georgia all the way up to Maine. And he thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if we had that sort of trail on a smaller scale in, in Canada, in New Brunswick? And, of course, he was thinking further ahead. He thought we can probably hook up at some point, you know, with the Appalachian Trail. But the main thing in his writings was how he was going to do this. Everything is so well documented. documented. For example, many people would know about Bob Murphy's Riverview recorders. It was a little weekly newsletter that was delivered to all the households in Riverview about the comings and the goings. I saved one for myself because I had it. But during the... um, during this search for, for, the, for the archives, I searched high and low for all of those Riverview recorders. So that was the Riverview Library, the Moncton Library, the University of Moncton Library, people's basements, their cellars, um, their closets, whatever I could find. So I did have a grand stack of them. And um, some of them I could only read with gloves on uh, in this special room at the Moncton Library. Some of them were given to me. It was great fun. So I scoured all of those. And so the first one was um, when he announced to the public that he'd like to build such a trail. It was uh, on December 22nd, 1959. Wow. Yeah. And so Bob Murphy, the editor, said that readers knew who Dr. Dobson was because he used to write about his travels in his um, station wagon uh, with his family. He used to do a lot of car camping. So when he decided to do this trail, it would boggle your mind to think how much planning went into this a full year of 1959. He planned what he would do. So by the end of it all, he wrote the article and it started, let's take a hike to Fundy Park. And so two pages later, he has it all laid out. He has the route. The front page of the Riverview Recorder is the map of where it's going to go. It's the same map that hikers use today. But of course, it's a fancy one. It's waterproof today. But he had seven major things that he, he wished to accomplish on that trail. And he said, our first concern is pushing the trail through with refinements coming later. So he had seven things. And the first was a section is scouted and the approximate location of the trail is decided. And of course, he had so many friends and connections in the area. He went with a with a friend in an airplane. So he flew over that whole section. And so he and his uh, daughter, Becky, went up, went up and they flew over the sections. And uh, they did that several times, actually. So then the next thing was to search the landowners, because you can't just go across everybody's property. So he contacted everyone that he could get a hold of. And he found that they were all very cooperative. And um, they encouraged him in that project. So then the next thing was a party goes in and clears the trail. Well, we are talking about the Albert County Wilderness here. (laughs) So (laughs) try to get a good band of volunteers to go out into the wilderness on their day off. But I think he did have a way of uh, inspiring people. So then he planned to paint the blazes and the signs and at the road crossings, and a section was then measured, and the mileposts were to be set up, and of course, the guidebook. And then he had selected sites for picnic areas and overnight shelters, and then barbecues. That never quite came to fruition, because as soon as the shelters were put up, Somebody would tear them down, mm. but they kept at it. And one still remains today back at the Blackwood Lake. Yeah. Now, now, the main thing about all of that planning was yearly maintenance. And that would have to be cleared out because, as you know, nature abhors a vacuum. So if you don't continue to clear the trail, it gets overgrown. And if there's the um, dead trees that would fall over it or whatnot, So he decided if he could get a group, a local group to monitor, maintain each different section. And he started with the Central United Scouts. So that was sort of his template to see how many people it would take, how long it would take them, and then to get other groups. And he did that. He worked especially Hard with the Moncton Naturalist Club at that time. And so they had a section. Uh, Hub City Campers had a section. Uh, later on, Outdoor Enthusiast Group had a, a section. It was just amazing how he was able to inspire people, uh, even individuals like the last section, say, from Kent Road all the way through to Fundy Park. That's pretty rough grow- going. It was quite a distance. But there was one individual who maintained that section by himself for years. So certain people, it was like their their weekly outing or whatever. They truly took responsibility for that section of the trail. So that's basically how how he began. And he worked at that for 10 years. So 10 years uh, of his life duly recorded in those diaries which are now of course with the town of riverview parks and recreation department anybody wants to go and read all of that um, it's there the recorders are there Um, so that that bit is done so from there i guess it's just a matter of organizing your hike. And, and that's
0: exactly it, you know, planning how many days it's going to take you to do it, one day, two days, because there are some people that have done the trail in a day, which oh, absolutely blows my, blows my mind after having done it myself. <laughs> but e- even, um, you know, the maintaining of it, you know, the fact that still today, you know, like you said, it took them 10 years to do it. Still today, we're in 2023. There are still an amazing group of volunteers that maintain each section of the trail. In all, co- in all kinds of weather.
1: Absolutely. There are people who prefer to maintain their sections in the winter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and they do a great job because they can go in on their, their snowshoes and they can go in on their special um, cross-country skis. And so it's a great time of year to maintain the trail. Now, one of the challenges over the year with maintaining the trail, of course, was it all needed to be done on foot, mm-hmm. and that's what that was a really big ask. But that's the way they did it on the Appalachian Trail. So, but a lot of the men, and as and as far as I know, it was only men uh, who who volunteered to look after the trail. Um, they were C N men, and they had a really great camaraderie among themselves. And so when Dr. Dobson decided that after his 10 years that he had done what he could do, he was ready to move on to other things, and he had left the trail to all these different groups, it was at that time that the Naturalist Club were basically responsible for the trail. And of course, Mary Micah, who everybody knows from Albert County, uh, it said, and I've, I've seen it written, Mary said... Eddie will be our trail master. And so it was. And so (laughs) So it was. (laughs) Edward Mulonson was the trail master for the best part of 40 years. Oh, my goodness. What a dedication. Can you imagine? Wow. Yeah. And so when he um, was not able to do it anymore, uh, thank goodness, there was the Fundy Hiking Trail Association, of which the Dobson Trail is a part. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's the group that organize and look after everything today. So it's in very good hands. Um, I can't see any reason why people would not want to hike the trail now. It's the great new book that was updated in uh, 2022, a wonderful new map. So, and they've got... Somebody to answer your questions at all times. So if you're going on the hike for your three days, all you have to do is call the Fundy Hiking Trail Association. The information is with the Town of Riverview. It's on its website. It's in that little booklet. And you can find out if the trail has been rerouted for some reason or um, if there are obstacles along the way. All the conditions of the trail. So you don't really have to go blind anymore. Uh, they have the latest and everything on the trail. So no reason not to go. When you uh, would do the sections with
0: your kids when they were younger, um, there's a big section up on the mountain that when I did it, which uh, I'm going to say is four years ago now, maybe three three or four years ago now, a big section of it was rerouted on The major road like you were on on the road for a few kilometers of the hike oh yes Kent Road yeah
1: on Kent Road that's right yeah exactly do you was it always like that there always was a stretch of Kent Road okay there was and that's too bad but that was the direction (laughs) that's that's where the road led yeah and so for people with their hikers it's not the most comfortable thing but it isn't forever. It's only for a few kilometers. Um, I forget right now just how many it is. But uh, it's not that pleasant at the time. But once it's over, then you're back in the woods and it's all it's all good again. So regarding the sections, when he planned the trail, he, he intended for the walk to be a pleasant one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that he chose to locate the trail to access the most scenic regions. And, of course, that was the Prosser Ridge. You know, that's the hardwood ridge. Absolutely beautiful. We used to spend a lot of time there. And more recently, which he didn't know was going to happen, the Kent Hills wind farms are quite interesting to to people. Uh, Hayward Pinnacle was, of course, the pinnacle of the trail. Stunning, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, it's not as stunning now in a 360-degree view because the trees have grown. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but back then, um, the first year after the trail was put through, they had a huge bonfire. And, of course, much has been written about that because that bonfire could be seen, it was on New Year's Eve, could be seen as far away as Moncton. No way. Oh, Absolutely. So there were many great things, you know, along the trail that um, people just had a wonderful time doing because really up until then, hiking wasn't in the local lexicon. It really wasn't. People went to the woods to work. They went to, um, you know, to cut wood, to do maple sugaring. But they didn't go just for a day out. That that wasn't what was happening. And there were trails to do that on. But uh, from the Hayward Pinnacle, it went through to Blackwood Lake. It went along the uh, hardwood ridge. It passed by the old homesteads and uh, mining sites. So his idea was to make it scenic, to... So people wouldn't just be in the mosquitoes and the mud for great periods of time or along a road. So um, a little bit of of something for everyone. Uh, One of the main things that he wanted people to experience uh, was nature itself. And he thought, what a great idea for the scouts, because they could go and get their badges The different scout groups, you know, Central United were the first ones. But then there were other church groups, of course. And he thought, well, it's a good tourism. Tourism wasn't talked about back then. And it still is. I don't know how many hundreds of people come to hike the trail every year. But I know there's more now than ever before because they do the Fundy Footpath. Mm -hmm. All the way, you know, from St. Martin's to Fundy National Park. And so he felt also it's a good place. People could probably find their way out to a trail if they became lost in the woods. And there were many, many different aspects to uh, his reasoning for building the trail. And he wanted to bring people closer to nature. And if you stayed out a night in the woods, that would surely happen, because if you went out in the middle of the afternoon to show your children some beavers, and there were numerous beaver dams along the route, you weren't going to see them. You needed to be there at dusk. You needed to be there at dawn. And if you wanted to see deer or moose, especially at Blackwood Lake, you would have to be there at dusk and dawn. If you wanted to hear coyotes, and some people do, I love to hear the coyotes, um, it's during the nighttime Mm -hmm. as well as the owls. So bringing people closer to nature is always a good thing because, you know, if if they learn about nature, then they will learn to love nature and then hopefully they will learn to protect nature. So that's a neat little package that can be and is definitely beneficial to everybody, to to all of us. So he he had all of those ideas. You know, he said, hikers just want to experience the experience. He said, for every single person, there's probably a different reason to hike. Now, many of us recall You know, the 60s were kind of a crazy period for young people. But in the 70s, things seemed to calm down a little bit. And, of course, that's when I had my children. And (laughs) one of the great books of that era, and I do digress, but it's so interesting, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I forget who the author was, Robert. Somebody or other, Sigrig or something. Anyway, it was about a man and his son taking a trip on a motorcycle. And it was the bonding. It was the question of what is the meaning of life, you know, all this sort of transcendence ideas. And you would be surprised, or maybe not, about how many, about the number of local people who took their sons into the woods. And had a wonderful bonding experience that just made their family something that it had never been before. And it's so interesting. There is a man that used to write a column. He doesn't write a column anymore. But he's been a longtime member of the Moncton, Nature Moncton now, was the Moncton Naturalist Club, Nelson Poirier. And he and his son took that trip. And a couple years later, his son tragically died. And for the 50th anniversary, he wrote a special tribute to that event in the Times in Transcript and said, what a wonderful thing this Dobson Trail is. He thought he was just going out to get to know his son better. And he said it was absolutely the trip of the lifetime. So there's all sorts of these wonderful little stories that, people love to tell about the dobson trail
0: i think that's one of the one of the things that's so important about the dobson too is everybody that you talk to that has done any section of it or completed the whole thing everybody has a different story everybody has a different location that's their favorite spot along along the whole thing like for some people it will be the you know the the waterfowl the wetlands what is the name of that it's escaping me ducks unlimited
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. The big meadows out there, for mm-hmm. sure. They like to go and see the um, the beavers and all of that sort of thing.
0: For me, it's water. So any any point in there, it's just amazing.
1: It, it actually is. And um, one of the things that I suppose we shouldn't lose sight of is the community spirit. Mm. Because an Edwin he promoted that they had a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, and actually, it was so important. Just it was a to become a member. He they charged two dollars, and forever for all the, the years, those forty years, two dollars was the amount. It was just so that they had a list of members. It had nothing to do with with the money, but they used to advertise in that newsletter. Anything that was up and coming, like every year, for example, on Valentine's Day, they had the cholesterol breakfast. And that was such great fun because they would go into the hut, which was at the first section then. It doesn't exist anymore. But they would go in and they would have pierogies and bacon and sausages and all that those sorts of things. So... Uh, it was a wonderful bonding experience for for them. And the newsletter also, um, it advertised that if you hike the whole trail, you would get a certificate. And actually now they still in the book says you could get a certificate. I'll digress a little bit because when I first hiked the trail, wanted to hike the trail once my children were gone. And I thought, OK, well, I'll do that whole trail now. So I wanted the certificate. So in order to get the certificate, uh, you had to write your story of what the trail gave you and so on and so forth. Write your journey. So I did that. Okay. So then the message came back from the trail master. Oh, I'd like you to come and present at the meeting. Tell us all about it. Okay. I hope (laughs) you'll give me my certificate. So off I went to the meeting. Still no certificate. So I went back the next time after paying my $2. And I was passed a pen and a paper. And it said, okay, you'll be the recording secretary for tonight. So on and on it went. I still do not have a certificate. No. <laughs> I've gotten over it. But that's how he got his volunteers. So this isn't Dr. Dobson. This, this was Trailmaster Edwin Melanson. So he had a way of getting volunteers, but he was also a great negotiator. And he did wonderful promotion for the trail. Like the trail under his auspices was, it was written up in Outdoor Magazine. The Times and Transcript had many, many articles on the trail. I I recently was looking at a picture of Dobson Trail, records big tree or something it was Edwin and I and somebody from the Department of Forestry and he was measuring with his little core sample to see how old these trees were and I remember Edwin saying now Christine the, the photographers are going to be there from the times and Transcript, so wear something bright." well of course most of us went to the woods we wore anything but bright because it was going to get full of mud so it was mostly green or brown anyway that was Edwin he had a great sense for that (laughs) but he had connections so Canadian Geographic wonderful article in Canadian Geographic Uh, we had a hike with Mary Ann Islet and her husband what was his name Um, what was his name (laughs) H.A. H.A. Islet and Marianne, so um, they had hike on the trail. And so it's printed up in a hiking guide to New Brunswick. And we also, Edwin and I and Cecil Steves, took them down on the Fundy footpath before it was actually open to the public. And, of course, we did get um, way by the tide coming in and had to spend the night there. So there was all those sorts of adventures uh, you probably remember uh, filmmaker Diane Whalen. She gave a presentation at Chocolate River Station. I think it was in around 2016. She was hiking the Trans-Canada Trail. And, of course, when she came through here, she hiked the Dobson Trail because by then it was part of the Trans-Canada Trail. Mm-hmm. And she said it was um, a hidden gem or something. But she loved the trail and the town and the Fundy Hope Hiking Association, they sponsored her to get this wonderful talk. And I guess that would kind of bring me into how the town of Riverview has supported the trail over the mm-hmm. years because actually the trail does not lie, the trail that does not lie in the town of Riverview. So from the earliest times, the from Ray Drake's days at the Department of Parks and Recreation to Bob Clive, who was the director when I was active there, to the more recent um, directors. They all supported the trail, always had the trailhead plowed in the winter. And I know way back when we were planning the 35th anniversary and Edwin had said, Christine will be our chairperson. Well, thank you very much. So that was great fun. But what we had then was this huge stone. We thought, well, we need a monument. It's a pretty big deal. So the town set a big cement block, I guess it was, for not, it's a wet cement to set the big stone in. And of course, Edwin worked with Moncton quarry to have the stone he and I and George Mundell went out there and picked out the stone. It's a huge, I don't know how many tons it is, but it's like six foot tall. And so he arranged all with volunteer hours to have probably Carson construction. I don't shouldn't probably say that. Cause I don't know for sure without checking back in the notes. Um, the big crane to load this stone onto the cement footing that was prepared by the town. They repaired the parking lot to welcome everybody who was coming. And so they've always done the best they could, considering it wasn't their jurisdiction. Mm. And again, for the 50th anniversary, Edwin was still in charge, and he still said, Christine will be our chairperson. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, again, it was great fun. So but I can contacted the town of Riverview. And Bob Clive said, what do you need? So it was all pretty simple. I need a stone. So we got one from the Gunningsville Bridge. I, I need a little bit of money to buy a plaque again, because they gave us money for the first plaque. And he said, just let me know whatever you need. Well, it was just amazing. I had mentioned that the trail was a little bit rough between the trailhead and where we were going to put this new stone. And lo and behold, a few days later, I went in and the trail was magnificent. We had thought he would give us maybe a load of gravel for us to spread. It was all done. It was like um the shoemaker and the elves or something. We went in and there was this trail. And it was marvelous because, of course, Dr. Dobson was there five years later. He had died. So Mary Michael was there. And of course, not so long after that, she was gone. So it was great to have this little highway into where the stone was for this magnificent celebration. So just another example of how The town of Riverview has always been there, and in more recent years, you've probably hiked the new section of the trail that goes in from Winter Wonderland Park, Mm -hmm. and that is on town property, and they've had wonderful bridges built, so I guess um, community spirit is alive and well.
0: (laughs) It's a it but it is it's something that that uh will blow your mind anytime you walk through there and you think to yourself how am i literally steps away from being on a busy street. That's right. I I do wonder um you know if Dr. Dobson would be uh just blown away at what it has become. I can't imagine that he ever
1: dreamed that it would be what it is today. Actually, I I can't certainly can't speak for him but I think he he was dreaming it would be better. Um, That's not an unkind thing to say. (laughs) But on the Appalachian Trail, there were so many people Mm -hmm. that vandalism wasn't a problem. But here in the wilds of Albert County, uh, when I was researching the history of the huts, you know, he had hoped forever that there would be these huts and the picnic sites as he had mentioned in the riverview recorder well they didn't last you know people would burn them down the guys would build them up again and they would haul them out but I must say they kept doing it Mm -hmm. and especially on that first section of the Dobson Trail where it's basically like a little nature park there's little signs to say what kind of tree this is and This is where the woodpeckers peck and this is where the rough grouse drums and that sort of thing. He certainly wouldn't have imagined any of that. But because of that sort of little nature park, it really became so popular with groups going in for nature walks and for um, just little scout outings and all sorts of little just little day trips and marshmallow roasts and story times about nature and that sort of thing. So um, that part, I think he didn't imagine he wouldn't have imagined that we were doing the Christmas bird count in there. Uh, In the 1980s, I was doing Christmas bird counts in the area with the Moncton Naturalist Club. And that particular area fell in my zone so i hung a little feeder because time is of the essence when you're counting all the birds in your section Mm -hmm. so by hanging this little feeder the birds would come to me uh, hopefully uh which they did well my gosh when you talk about volunteers the next year these gentlemen mostly from cn but friends of of edwin's and other volunteers i think they spent the year making Bird feeders, they had, I think, three or maybe even more stations, and they built benches so people could sit and watch the birds. And it seemed like they were outdoing each other in their design for bird feeders and squirrel-proof bird feeders. And I think eventually they just made feeders especially for the squirrels. (laughs) So that sort of camaraderie. Um, No, I don't think Dr. Dobson probably could have imagined that sort of thing. He was hoping for the trail to go all the way through to take a a walk to Fundy. When he spoke at the 50th anniversary, yes, he was in awe that all these years later, people were still maintaining it. People were still enjoying it. There are people who have had difficulties but nothing that couldn't be overcome for sure. Now with the book and the Facebook and all of the numbers, people have every reason to go and every reason to go safely. Because in his first little booklet, he was really concerned with people burning down other people's property. So he had make sure your fire is out and respect other people's property because we go there with their permission and we must look after the forest. Um, He had a few ideas on safety and compass and whatnot. But today, with the booklet, everything is there to keep you safe. So you don't need to go blind. You don't need to be afraid. And with the Fundy Hiking Trail Association, which is a bigger association with more funding more people uh more official i suppose i i would say i can't see that there ever would be a time when there wouldn't be a dobson trail i
0: agree with you on that one uh do you know how many times did dr dobson hike the trail himself never (laughs) no no
1: (laughs) and actually edwin never hiked it through either he never spent a night in the woods only the night we got lost down on the Fundy Trail, which wasn't wasn't the Dobson Trail. No, they did sections. <laughs> wow. Kind of sorry you asked me that question, but I am a person who deals in fact. <laughs> so no, he didn't. <laughs> I
0: think, but you know what? Like I think that that we started the conversation out talking about this different sections and being able. You know, the whole purpose was to be able to get in <laughs> and get out in all these different sections. Uh, so it almost makes it that much better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I agree. <laughs> do you yourself have a favorite section? Oh, probably, probably um, the Hardwood Ridge. You know, that section through, you know, the Brook Ridge. Um, because I like the fall. We all do. I don't prefer hiking in the muck. And I don't prefer hiking through clear cuts and mosquitoy meadows. <laughs> um, but I certainly did that in order to get from point A to point B to try to get my certificate. But uh, no, that's most of us like a good fall hike, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And there's nothing, nothing beats, you know, the mountain in the fall. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't. Oh, one thing you may may not know, as po- after Dr. Dobson died, his wife came to me, not only with the diaries, but she said, I have these things that maybe could be given to a museum or to the town of Riverview, and so she brought Dr. Dobson's hiking stick. She brought his, what they used to call the Albert County tuxedo. It was the red and black checkered jacket. The dinner <laughs> jacket, yes. or the Albert County dinner jacket, exactly. Uh, she brought his various awards. One of his first awards that he ever received that he was most proud of was the Greb Award. And it was, oh, I wouldn't have the wording properly but it was in in recognition for his developing the trail and his what he was the first person to get this particular award so he uh, that was part of what she wanted to donate his first ever trail guide and um, actually the scroll that I had made up in 2009 in preparing for the 50th anniversary. I made a scroll of all the names of the people that had worked on the trail over the years. And I had given it to Dr. Dobson and um, I said, what do you think we should do with this? And he said, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm not sure, but it should be made available for future reference. So that was part of what of what she brought. Um, There was the bronze plaque that he got from his scout troop. So all of these things, um, his wife and I spent a good deal of time trying to find a place in Riverview that could house that. We were unsuccessful because there wasn't apparently any room. But through contacts with the David Allward, with the Albert County Museum, he accepted it. He was pleased to get it. So all of these things... Are there? They're in the Albert County Museum. I, I don't know that they're actually on display. And if at any point the town of Riverview had room to put up a, a case to house those things, I know the museum would be very willing to have them come back to Riverview. But it is Albert County, that's where they are. It's just part of, of the history of Riverview. I, I don't know that we have an archivist for the town. But if ever there is one, I'd love to talk to them. <laughs> I'd love to share all these things uh, with them. But in the meantime, we've got the trail. We've got a wonderful place. We don't have to drive down to Maine. We don't have to drive down to Georgia. We've got it right here in our own backyard
0: beautiful what a great place to yeah what a great place to wrap up today's episode chris thank you so much
1: oh i've just been delighted to talk to you i hope we've inspired people to go to the trail uh, go safely to the trail take off little bites get to know the trail and if you know it you will love it thank you so much